Let's turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Admittedly, we've got a shorter section this morning. Those of you that are Atlanta Falcons fans, you're going to get home in time for the game. So you, uh, but, I, but I want you to remember this day because there might be later on in the season where you get home late for a game because it's a bigger section. So uh, this is a gift to the, the Falcons fans this morning and hope you have a great season. Uh, except when you face the Cowboys in the playoffs and then all bets are off. I don't know what I hope then, but all right. So Ecclesiastes chapter 10, we are going to look at a a section I've entitled the negative consequences of poor leadership. Now, some of you have been wondering throughout the book of Ecclesiastes because Solomon's been pretty hardcore, uh, just like Paul and Peter seem to be hardcore in terms of how do we respond to civil government? And it's been pretty clear, submit, obey. And, and, and the, the American rebel in each one of us are like, what? Like, shouldn't there be a time where we can kind of push back, blow back, maybe even disagree? And, you know, this morning Solomon is going to bring a little bit of balance to that whole topic. Now, he's not going to say rebel. He's not going to say, uh, you know, anarchy and, and, and take over and, and push back in that way. But he's going to say that you can obey rulers and authorities, but you can disagree with them. You can, you can evaluate as a believer when they are doing things wrong, when they are doing things that you disagree with. It's not that we turn our mind off at the door and say, like a robot, I'm just going to do what they say and agree with everything they say. We can still evaluate when we have a good ruler, when we have a good civic leader, those kind of things. But it's not, it's not that we have to give them a blanket approval for anything. In fact, we have remedies as United States citizens, when we don't like what our leaders are doing. And typically that remedy is legislation and voting, right? Those are our remedies typically to change things. So Solomon's is kind of, kind of address this this morning and bring a little bit of balance to it. And the first thing he tells us in verses 16 through 17, he's going to contrast two different types of rulers. And the first thing he says is he says, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. But blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. And so literally, the, the word woe is, is a marker here. It's a Hebrew marker of intense hardship. It's uh, intense distress. It means something like pity on you. I feel sorry for you. Wow, that's a bad, you got a bad situation. It's kind of what he's saying. And what's the bad situation? He's, he's talking about when you've got a child king. Now, it could refer to age. This, this happened oftentimes. Maybe a young child was, was the heir to a throne, and then his father dies prematurely, and he's thrust into that position as king. We see some of that even in, um, during the nation of Israel's history. We had a, a child king that, that actually had to be hidden away because uh, I think it was the, his grandmother was trying to kill him. So they had to hide him away, and then they brought him out. And he's saying, well, woe to you. But I, but I think often, um, you know, we think in terms of a young child by age, but I think this could apply to a young child uh, maturity level. You know, a lot, of, a lot of 40-year-old men that are still 13 at heart and in mind. And, and, it's, and so there's this idea of this, this immature, reckless, uh, selfish, uh, unaware leader. And he'll kind of develop this a little bit uh, more. And, and basically what he's saying is, woe to you if you've got a child king who's really unqualified to lead a nation 
because of his inexperience or because, because oftentimes even young kings do what? They want to come in. They want to make a name for themselves. I think of Solomon's sons. What was the advice of uh, the older advisors who had been around Solomon? They said, don't tax the people more. Don't just, don't do it. And what did all his younger advisors like? Tax them more. Make them work harder. And it ended up splitting the kingdom. It ended up splitting the, the wisdom wasn't there. And so, um, unfortunately, you know, Solomon didn't live to see that. But he, but he understood the ineffectiveness. He understood the danger of having a youthful or an immature king. And I'll tell you, one of the worst combinations is inexperience combined with insecurity. That, that is lethal. That's a lethal combination. And so many uh, young rulers are so insecure because they haven't accomplished anything that they don't know who to listen to. And so this is Solomon is just playing this out. They, this type of nation that has this type of king is to be pitied. In fact, he goes on to describe in verse 16, he kind of gives an example of the, the dumb stuff that they do. And this is one of those examples. They, he says um, in verse 16, you see that phrase, it says, in your prince's feast, in the morning, and you're like, what's wrong with a breakfast buffet? You know, like, what? like, is that what he's talking about? You can't eat a lot of food in the morning? I mean, that's not what he's talking about at all. In fact, the, the connotation is that they just party all day, that they, they just have drunken parties all day. You know, I knew a guy <clears throat> in high school, number one, he was too young to drink, but number two, on the weekends, uh, I'd see him on a Friday night and I'd see him on a Saturday morning and it's like he, he still had a, a can of beer in his hand. He was drinking all day, almost wrecked his life. And, and he, had a, he was a very talented baseball player and, and pretty much wrecked his college career. Um, praise God, he trusted Christ um, not too, too far into his 20s. But, but he was kind of this type of guy, just, you know, party all night, wake up and, and party all day. And that's kind of the idea that, that, that he's communicating here. This is a type of leader that shuns their responsibilities just to engage in pleasure over and over again. And he says, if you got this type of leader, wow, I feel sorry for you. I, woe to you, pity on you. And so when this young ruler should be working during the morning hours, during the daylight hours, administrating all the needs of the kingdom, all he's doing is in party mode, drinking all day, eating all day, anything that tantalizes his pleasures, that's what he's focused on. And part of this, uh, it's kind of like our celebration study, our Sunday, our our celebration that we're going to have. The timing's just off, right? It's not even that today it would be bad, but in a sense it is with COVID, the fear, the sharing of food, uh, just being cautious, just not good timing. But one day in the near future, it's going to be great timing. And that's the time you want to celebrate. That's the time you want to come together. And see, young kings, immature kings don't understand that. They just think it's party time all the time. And they think somehow the kingdom's just going to keep itself running while they party and enjoy these things. In stark contrast, he, he makes a, a statement in verse 17. He says, uh, in contrast, blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles. Blessed literally means how happy you must be. Wow. How blessed you must be. How, what a heightened state of joy when you actually got a leader that, that knows what he's doing and understands the timing and the needs of not only your community, but also when to, when to have fun, when to celebrate. This, this timing comes in here. And so in contrast to this youthful, immature, and inexperienced leader mentioned in the previous verse, 
what he's, what he's emphasizing here is that this king, this, this one that you would be blessed to live in this country, he comes from a good, noble stock. And, and I think the emphasis there is this guy has been trained. This guy has been groomed to be a king. He's been prepared to, to handle the responsibilities of the office. And so he comes in and he acts and leads accordingly because, number one, he's probably seen it from his dad and he's been taught to think certain ways. And so he is, he is in a much better place to lead, and that is a, uh, a country that's truly blessed is when they have a leader that combines these traits. One proof, again, Solomon gave a proof of why uh, it was pity to somebody that had a, a young and foolish leader, but one proof that you'd be blessed with, with a leader that knows what he's doing is there that last phrase in verse 17, your prince's feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. And so the point is this, they know when to unwind. They, they know when they need to address needs in the community, but they also know when they need to unwind. There's a, there's a timing aspect, and there's a proper time to celebrate, and there's a proper reason to celebrate. Uh, the proper reason is never to get drunk. He, he says it's for, for strength. And, you know, you think about, you know, those of you that, that have partied before in the past, maybe when you were, you were younger, you think about the purpose of partying. It, it never seemed to have a purpose. It just, it, the purpose was to just tantalize your senses, to get drunk. It, the, the, the idea of partying with a purpose, celebrating with a purpose for strength, didn't, doesn't even cross many young minds. That doesn't even come into play. It doesn't even come into thinking. And so he says, do it. Uh, this, this type of celebration is for strength, not for drunkenness. And so what does strength mean? Well, the word itself means victory. It means achievement. It, it signals completion or accomplishment of a task. So it takes somebody who's responsible, who sees a task through, then it's time to celebrate. Then it's time to party. There's a purpose behind celebration, not just like, I feel like, tantalizing my senses today for no good reason. I haven't accomplished anything. So you, you see even just the purpose and the mindset of different types of leaders. It was a party to celebrate something that, that was accomplished, that something that had substance. Now, as he goes on, and again, so, so in verses 16 and 17, you can see we can evaluate our leaders. We're, we're able to evaluate what type of uh, society that we're living in and what our leaders are like. We're able to evaluate those things. Now he's going to come in verse 20 and he's going to tell us how not to respond when we evaluate that they're doing something foolish. He's going to be really cautious on how we respond. There's still a wise way to respond, but he's going to go on now and describe, further describe this youthful and immature leader. And he's going to use another adjective here and he's going to say he's lazy. And he's going to say laziness has consequences. In fact, verse 18 reads this, because of laziness, the building decays and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. And so we hear, uh, we see here this word laziness. It's got a little bit of a, a, of more of an, I mean, lazy's lazy. I don't know how you change the meaning of that word, but, but there's an emphasis here with the Hebrew word that he uses. It, it emphasizes extreme laziness. Okay. It's a, it's a level above. It's, it's not just, um, you know, it's not just, hey, I missed a couple spots on the lawn. It's, I didn't even get out and get on the lawnmower, right? It's, it's an extreme form 
of laziness that he's emphasizing here. It's an extreme state of inactivity or idleness. Uh, in other words, this, this king that he's talking about just doesn't have a work ethic at all. Maybe, maybe you know somebody like that, and, and you know how frustrating it is to, to work with them or to count on them. Um, maybe you are or you have been somebody like that, and now you see the value of a good, good hard day's work. Well, in the, in the area of a king, you want a king who's not lazy because he's not going to address the things that need to be addressed. In fact, laziness, again, describes this immature ruler. And what we're going to see is that when you've got a lazy, immature ruler, lots of things that need to be attended to fall through the cracks. That's what we're going to see here um, in, in this verse. One of the things that we see is that the building decays. And it just describes this result of a lazy king. Uh, the building represents his kingdom. And literally, one could translate this phrase that the rafters sink. The building starts caving in on itself. And, and lazy and immature kings, that's exactly what their, their kingdoms do. They just start crumbling from within. They just start crumbling down. And so um, he, he, sees, he sees this laziness and the impact that it has. He also gives another illustration. He says, through the idleness of hands that the house leaks. And, and so same metaphor, same consequence, right? Laziness has consequences. And what he's going to say here is, is first of all, the first metaphor says the house is caving in. The second metaphor is talking about the house can't weather any kind of storm. And, and you'll see this as, as leaders make decisions uh, involving their, their laziness. They don't get involved. They don't maintain what they have. They just start letting things go. And you just see things start crumbling in on them, including their country, including the society. Someone forwarded this picture to me this week, and it's just puts into great perspective. Those of you that like Charlie Brown, um, I think that's Peppermint Patty. Is that Peppermint Patty? I think that is. She says, uh, what's happened to this younger generation, Charlie Brown? Charlie Brown said, it all started with bicycle helmets, and now it's everyone gets a trophy. Kids don't know what it's like to feel pain when they do something stupid. Stupid should hurt. Pretty simply put, thank you, Charlie Brown. Stupid should hurt. And oftentimes when you've got an immature leader that does stupid things, it hurts and it should hurt. And that, again, helps us to evaluate when somebody is, is leading well and when somebody's not leading well. Somebody is mature and groomed to be a leader. Somebody's immature and, and not able to lead. In fact, um, you know, I just remember as, as a young man, I remember I got the keys to a car, my first car. I had to share it with my brother. But um, I remember when, uh, you know, my brother, God bless my brother, he was a responsible young man. I was the opposite. So I'm the first guy in the illustration. He was the second. And when I shared the car with my brother, my brother took care of everything. Oil changes, tire rotations, changing tires, putting gas in the car. And, I mean, he was just good about, the, he was just responsible. I get to 18, he gets another car, I get that hand-me-down, and I'm like, I'm going to stretch this oil change business out a little bit. I, what, rotate your tires? Like, what, who cares? Like, that's just such a waste of money. I can figure out so many better ways to spend, you know, $100 in rotating the tires on my car. I'd go out, I'd kick them, they'd stay on the car, and be like, they're good, they're fine. I'd look at the tread, I'd be like, hey, it's, it's still rubber there, it'll work. Right. And so I went through life as a young man just thinking, oh, I don't I don't need to 
pursue those kind of things. And then what happens? Well, you end up on the side of the road. In fact, I remember driving down the freeway in San Antonio, Texas. I was driving downtown and we were, I was actually heading to a basketball game, a, a Spurs basketball game. And, and I had not changed my tire. And, and it, I, I mean, it was bad, right? I mean, everywhere I went, they're like, man, your tread's low. And I'm thinking to myself, what's tread? I don't even know what tread is. And I'm like, I don't care if it's low. So I'm driving and I start spinning out on the freeway. I mean, spinning out going, you know, 60, I think, I forget what the speed limit, well, I don't usually, I didn't pay attention to the speed limit, but whatever it was, I think it was like 65. So I'm going fast. I start spinning out on the freeway. And then I thought I stopped. So I started to turn my wheel to go back onto the freeway. I hadn't stopped. I was going backwards and I couldn't feel it. It was in the rain. I turned it, I shot, I darted straight across the freeway. And if there hadn't been a median there that I crashed into, I would have been right in line with incoming traffic, which was going 65 miles an hour. The other thing that's amazing is somehow I got a spot on the freeway where there were, there were cars about a half a mile in front of me and cars about a half a mile behind me. Nobody was near me. Then I started to realize maybe I should take care of this car a little bit better. I almost lost my, my life. Maybe there's some wisdom here in actually maintaining something that I own. And see, as a, as a young ruler, and by the way, stupid did hurt. My neck hurt for two weeks after that accident, and that was good for me. I needed that. If I didn't have that, I probably wouldn't have learned my lesson. But this is where this young, immature king doesn't do that. In fact, what we're going to see in verse 19 is, is they, they don't know where to invest. They, they don't have this, this understanding of where to invest their time in money. In fact, verse 19 reads this, a feast is made for laughter, wine makes merry, but money answers everything. And, and it seems like Solomon is connecting a, a love for food and wine um, to the previous verses of this lazy leader. And, and now he's going to give us the reason why the building's falling apart. Now he's going to give us the reason why there's leaks in the roof. And part of it is this. He, money talks. And, and what money is saying is this leader wants to spend money on partying more than he wants to spend on maintaining the kingdom. And this is kind of what this verse is saying here. This leader seems to be investing in food and drink to enjoy, but he's taking that, that money that he's investing there, which should be going to the maintenance of his cities and country, and he's absolutely blowing it. He's absolutely blowing it. And you can, as they say in the secular business world, right, you can follow the money. You, you follow the money, you know where the focus is. You follow the money, you know where someone's heart is. And that's true here with this king. Money answers everything. This is, this is that phrase. And answer means can reply or respond or it can give us information. It can declare information, right? It's like if you say, oh, this is so important to me. Um, you know, this is the most important thing in my life. Uh, it was like, you know, it was, uh, it was a politician years ago. And he said, oh, we should be, you know, we should be devoting our time to community resources, the less fortunate. We should be developing government programs. We should be doing this. And they said, well, Mr. Politician, how much did you give to charity last year? Well, that's not really the issue. Well, you know why it wasn't the issue? Because when his records came out, he had only given $300 to charity that year. And yet he stood on a platform wanting to divert millions of dollars from your taxpayer money to the less fortunate. And see, money talks. 
Is that, was that really important to him? If it was important to him, there, you'd think there'd be an individual response to that need. Well, in case of this ruler, he can talk about how, uh, you know, it, it used to be like, you know, in middle school when people would run for student council president. When I first got to middle school in sixth grade, the first person stood up and gave a speech and they said, if I'm elected student council president, we're going to have soda machines in every classroom. And we're going to have, you know, Chick-fil-A brought into the cafeteria. And I was like, I am in. I love this person. I voted for them. And then they couldn't pull it off. And then in my seventh grade year, someone else said, I am going to bring snack machines in every classroom. I'm going to, making all these promises that they, that they couldn't keep. There was no way that they could potentially keep those promises. And, and yet this is kind of what what leaders do sometimes. They will say, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. And then guess what? Money talks. Money's going to show us if that's really what they're interested in. Is that really that important to them? Are they going to make that happen? And what, he, what Solomon is saying about this youthful and unwise king is money talks. He's only, he only cares about partying. He doesn't care about maintaining the country. And woe to you if you've got a leader like that is kind of the point. We can see that his investment is in his pleasure, not in the upkeep of his kingdom. And this is a surefire way to destroy the kingdom that you have inherited. As a young king, an immature king, it's, it's a way to lose everything. You're indulging your pleasures to the extent that you're ruining the very country that gives you the right to those pleasures. And so rulers and civic leaders don't always make the best decisions. I mean... Amen. Like quietly, we can say amen to that. I mean, they just, they just don't. We know that. We evaluate those kind of decisions. We know that they don't make the best decisions. That's not, uh, you know, a revelation. But how do you respond? How, how should you as a believer in Jesus Christ respond? Well, we can still submit and yield to leadership. In fact, the natural response is, is not always the good response. It's not always the wise response. And I think we confuse that sometimes. It's like, well, well, it's natural, right? That ought to actually indicate you, you should be careful. <laughs> natural should indicate maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe I should think about this before I do it. Because the natural response is not always wise and good. And oftentimes we don't realize that. We just blow forward with, with our natural response. And so in verse 20, what he's going to say is this, do not curse the king even in your thought. Do not curse the rich, even in your bedroom. For a bird of the air may carry your voice and a bird in flight may tell the matter. Uh, the word curse, by the way, is, it, it's more than just saying something bad about something. It's wishing harm on somebody, okay? So it's, a, it's an intense level. I mean, you're, we're taking it up a level here. It's not just saying, oh, well, that, that was a dumb decision or that guy, wow, is he, was he even thinking? You know, kind of, it's not that. It's, it's wishing harm. You know, it might be like wishing that somebody would, would take them out, wishing they would have a heart attack, wishing that, you know, someone would have sat. I mean, it's literally, it's wishing harm um, on somebody. And um, so it, it, and Solomon's point is even if the king is doing foolish things, don't, don't wish harm on, on your leader. In fact, what, is, what does Paul say to Timothy? He says, pray for your leaders. He says, pray for their good, desire their good. Because when we desire their good, then, then typically we have a society where we can worship the Lord in peace. That's the goal, according to Paul, as he writes to Timothy. So we're not to wish harm 
um, on our leaders. And, and, you know, depending on who's in office, you know, we can give a hearty amen to that one or we can be like, well, I don't I don't know. What about, <laughs> you know, it's like it, depending on who's in office, sometimes we, we fluctuate whether or not we agree with that verse. But that's the truth of God's word. It's always true. We shouldn't be wishing harm uh, on our leaders. The role even if the person doesn't that does deserve our respect, that's that's the point. Um, even if the person doesn't, even if the the person um, is is disrespectful and and is doing foolish things, they are still deserving of our respect. Why? Because he or she is in the role. The role deserves the respect. And so he says, you know, be careful. Uh, it's interesting. He says, don't curse the king, even in your thought. You know, and we joke all the time, right? You know, our cell phones, are mo- they're monitoring us. You know, Alexa, they're monitoring us. And, you know, sometimes you wonder, you know, you're I'm, like, I'll just be in a conversation with my wife and all of a sudden, like, Alexa will, will pop in and say something. I'm like, what in the world? We didn't even say her name. Like, who's listening in on our conversation? And that's kind of the idea is, is like, powerful people have voices in private places. This is kind of what Solomon's communicating here. And so he's like, be careful, like even in your thinking, you know, it, it may come through. Somebody may relay that back to the king. Now, in this day, that would have been potentially hazardous to your health. The king may have taken you out or put you, you know, on the back 40, you know, in Siberia somewhere, you know, it's just like move you out so that you are out of, you know, uh, the possibility of stirring other people up. But notice he also says something about speaking evil of the wealthy. And he uses the same word, do not curse the rich, even in your bedroom, I, I, the idea, again, is you're, you're desiring harm on somebody. But notice where you're doing it. Notice the first phrase is even in your thought. The second phrase is even in your bedroom. These are private areas, quite frankly, that don't most of us feel like I can cut loose there. I can say whatever I want to say in my private bedroom, in my thinking. And it's really fascinating here that Solomon says, don't do that. He's gonna give us some reasons why. And part of that's just external. People might find out about how you feel. But I actually think there's something even more that maybe he doesn't bring out here. And there's, there are spiritual things that can happen. In fact, go with, just hold your finger there and go with me to Romans chapter 13. Romans chapter 13, I feel like we've been here recently for a long time. But um, Romans 13, you know, one of the things that you see in Romans 13 is, is the command is given in verse 1, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority uh, except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by, by God. And then jump down um, to verse 4. For, for he, speaking of the civil government, is, is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil... Be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And so we're like, it, it gives us the God-ordained role of civil government to restrain evil. And civil government has done that in many different ways over the years. They've done it through soldiers. They've done it through police forces. So, this, so the whole idea to, to remove policing from a society is a foolish concept. It's an unbiblical concept. God has actually designed that to restrain levels of evil. And don't we want evildoers to be punished? 
Who wants an evildoer to come into your house, steal your money, steal your goods, harm your family, and then not have any justice? Who would volunteer for that? None of us would. We want evildoers to be punished. We want them, we want them to experience justice, especially if they harm us. We definitely want to see them executed justice. So that's one of the reasons. But notice this. Notice why he says you must be subject. Verse 5, notice that word therefore. He's making a conclusion. You must be subject. Look at this. Not only because of wrath, okay, not only because if you're not subject, you may be viewed as an evildoer and you may be punished. And it's not fun to sit in jail. It's not fun to face the consequences of the law. So not only for the sake of wrath, but notice that very next phrase, but also for conscience sake. See, that's internal. See, we, we don't think about rebellion against government or wishing harm on a government official. We don't think how that might impact us internally. We don't think how that might affect our relationship, our fellowship with the Lord. We don't think about that at all. We don't even consider that. We just, we just say, hey, I'm in my bedroom. I can say what I want to. I'm just going to let it rip. And we don't even know it might be knocking us out of fellowship with the Lord. And quite frankly, most believers would be like, I don't really care if we're being honest with ourselves, Because if we cared, we'd recognize the seriousness of that. And we'd take our mind off of earthly things, putting our hope in Donald Trump or Joe Biden or any local official. We would take our hope off of them and we would start occupying ourselves with heavenly things. We would set our mind on things above. And then you know what? You'll find that you're not gonna be as upset anymore because there's nothing disappointing about Jesus Christ. Nothing, zero. So we we occupy ourselves with him. We're gonna find the clouds clear. (laughs) The rain goes away, so to speak. There's lots of things ramping up. And you know what? The things that I see ramping up in our culture makes me long for heaven more, right? And that's the response that we wanna have. It's setting our mind on things above. And so even, even here, as Solomon's saying, don't curse the king, even in your thought. Don't curse the rich, even in your bedroom. And you're thinking to yourself, why? I can get away with it there. You can't get away with it spiritually. You're going to suffer spiritually. There's a a fellowship issue that we all need to be much more concerned about than what we are. Because that's how the Lord infuses you with the fruit of the Spirit. Love and joy and peace. And we all would say, I sign up for that. I want that in my life. I want that consistently in my life. I want to be occupied with spiritual things. I want to be used by Jesus Christ. Only happens when we're in fellowship with him. So why would you let Joe Biden or Donald Trump or any politician knock you out of fellowship with the Lord? It ain't worth it. It's not worth it. And so Solomon, again, gives us two reasons. Now, his reasons are external. I kind of jumped out and gave an extra internal reason. But he says this, for a bird of the the air may carry your voice. Now, um, obviously speaking metaphorically, unless we're talking about talking parrots maybe, but I don't think that's what he's talking about. Metaphorically, somebody hears it, carries what you said to somebody else. And then um, same concept, a bird of flight may tell the matter. And so this is a reason not to wish harm on our rulers. Again, someone may hear about it. Uh, you, may, you may slip it out, you know, because you're so angry and fired up. It may just come through. And, you know, sometimes, don't you know, like, what some people mean by what they don't say, too? Can't you? I mean, we know how that works, right? And so this is what he's saying. Hey, just be careful. You don't want to bring added attention to you, especially in that day when a king 
who might find out that you're wishing harm on them would just come knock on your door and execute you. So Solomon's giving some very practical advice here. Now, we're going to transition to chapter 11. And this was just kind of a a weird break for me, so I didn't really know kind of where to stop. But we're going to start chapter 11, introduce the concept. We'll pick it back up next week. We're just going to cover one verse in chapter 11 this morning. And I think the transition is, is in verse 19, we saw the concept of, of investing addressed. Back, remember back in verse 19, he says, money answers everything. And where, where money was, was speaking against him or speaking out was that he was spending, this king was spending money on pleasure he wasn't spending money on maintaining his country. And so we, we see this concept of investing, and we see that the ruler was investing in the wrong thing. He was investing in himself. He was investing in pleasure over duties that he had responsibilities for. And so in the first section here of chapter 11, we're going to look at what we'll just title generically the value of diligence. In other words, the value of investments within your realm of responsibility. That's what we're going to look at here in the first Uh, verse we see is this concept of uh, casting your bread upon the waters not not to feed ducks like in that picture it's got a I think a metaphorical meaning that he's using here but it reads this cast your bread upon the waters for you will find it after many days uh, the word cast is a command. It's, it's a singular command. So it's, it's you yourself, listener, you yourself, you need to cast your bread uh, upon the waters. And so it's a command here. And normally, um, when you think about sending away something, which is what this word cast means, it means to send it away. But normally when you think about sending something away on water, you typically don't get it back. You know, think, think of, you know, like a toy boat, Right. Think of a, a stick. You know, we were down at a, a river not long ago with with Tobin. It was, you know, some raging rapids and we were just throwing sticks in there and they would just take off. You know, they weren't we didn't expect it to come back. So he's saying, cast your bread upon waters for the, and it says for you will find it after. It's an, uh, the idea is it'll come back to you. So initially, you're like, what's he what's he trying to say here? Um, also, typically, when you throw bread, think about throwing bread in the water. What does it do? Well, it floats for a little bit, and then what does it do? It, it sucks in the water like a sponge, and it starts to sink. So, like, is that what he's trying to communicate? Like, throw your bread, let it go away, or let it sink to the bottom of the ocean? How does it come back to you? So, obviously, you know, he's speaking metaphorically here, but what's he talking about? And so, you know, just in terms of trying to put this culture together to understand what he's talking about and then what comes later, which we'll cover next week, um, I think he's referring to money. I think he's referring to financial matters. I think he's referring to investment. And I think he's talking specific, specifically about transporting commodities by ship. In other words, trade industry, import-export industry, which was big um, during this time. In fact, the, the instruction, if we can take a principle, says this. Don't, don't hold on to or hoard your wealth. Don't, don't just put it in a barn. You know, the, the story in the Gospels of the man who says, man, I, I had a great year. Uh, I've filled my, my barns with grain. I've got more grain than I know what to do with. What should I do? And he's like, build more barns, right? He's just, he's just hoarding his wealth. And this would be the opposite of that. Not hoarding your wealth, but, but literally keep investing it. Keep utilizing it. Keep sending it out. Keep 
diversifying it. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's very good. Anybody that's ever invested knows that that's good advice. You don't want all your eggs in one basket. You want to send it out multiple different ways. That way, if this goes down, this is up. And you you try to balance out just with wisdom uh, your financial matters. You know, one of the things that we know in Solomon's day um, is that I jumped too far there. But one of the things that we know about Solomon's day is that that was, that was a, an, an industry where you could make a lot of return. That import-export uh, uh, investment there right there on the Mediterranean Sea. So he says, um, they're trying to help me back there, I think. Thanks, God. I think I got I think it's. I think I'm caught up now. Um, and then he says, if you do this, if you invest this way, you're going to find it after many days. In other words, it's going to, you'll gain possession of it again. And um, the verbal aspect of the word in the Hebrew denotes that it's, a, it's an ongoing event, this, this word find. Um, or it can be a completed event with ongoing results. And so the idea is that you're going to keep benefiting from this type of mindset in investment. You're going to continue to find it. You're going to, going to continue to discover it. And as you get back more, send it out, cast it out more. And you're going to continue to benefit from that type of thinking in our life. And, you know, one of the things that we also want to point out is he says many days. It's not a get rich quick scheme. I remember uh, a young man years ago asked my father-in-law. My father-in-law is a very successful commercial real estate uh, developer in, in San Antonio. And a young man um, called him up, got started in the business and called my father-in-law up and said, I want to meet with you. I want to have lunch with you. I want to pick your brain. And, and basically, the, he asked him lots of questions, but basically the gist of the question was, how can I become rich? That was what he wanted to know from my father-in-law. How can I become rich? How can I make lots of money? My father-in-law said, well, um, focus on what you can focus on today and then just be willing to wait 20 or 30 years. And the young man said, okay, thanks for lunch, and never spoke to him again, right? And, and typically, when, when you're thinking in terms of investment, many of us think that way. It's like, get rich quick. And, and I think even in the language that Solomon uses here, he's like, hey, just settle in for the long haul. Cast your bread on many waters. Cast them out. Send them away. Diversify, invest. But don't expect a quick return. There's, there's a principle there, an investment that to be patient with it, taking many days. In fact, you know, when, when Solomon in first Kings 10, Solomon's shipbound investments, it said it would, it wouldn't return to him. His fleet of shipbound investments wouldn't return to him for three years. And you know, the older I get, I think, well, three years is nothing, but the younger you are, you're like three years. Oh, you know, three months sometimes, you know, feels like 30 years. And so the idea is it's not a get-rich-quick scheme. It's a wise approach to investment. And so the implication of this instruction is if you do not cast it away or diversify, you may lose it. And we'll kind of pick up on that next week, and we'll just continue to look at this concept of the value of diligence in investments. And so let's close there with a word of prayer. Lord, I thank you. There's truths there in today's passage that can, can benefit us today and just pray that your spirit would make this truth relevant to, to our lives and to our thinking, where we, where we stand, where we sit, where we live, how we interact with people. And we pray that your spirit would just continue this week to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ in our mind, to exalt his finished work in our thinking so that we 
are confident, we gain in confidence in what he accomplished for us, the fact that he died personally in our place, each one of our places, to pay the penalty for our sin. And may that, may that work just be solidified in, in our thinking, the, the fact that we can have confidence in what he accomplished because you raised him from the dead to never die again. We just rejoice in what Jesus was able to accomplish. We pray that the truth shared in the passage this morning would be just applicable in our thinking, that it might be helpful to, to draw us even closer to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.